looks right, throws a deep pass, right side, end zone, hits off, it's a touchdown! And the Cardinals continue to pour it on. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by the Arizona Cardinals mobile app. Visit azcardinals.com slash app. Touchdown, Arizona! The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Great move to the right at the 50. Cuts back to the left at the 40. He's loose at the 30. He's at the 20. The 10. Touchdown, Cardinals! Rise up and make a play. And what a hit! Oh, my goodness! He got crushed. You've got to be kidding me. Come off the ball with malice. Here's Paul Calvisi. You know, normally, guys, we don't start with any sort of weather report, but let's see here. Darren Urban, based on the visuals, is wearing a sweatshirt. Uh, we've got a hoodie for Kyle Odegaard here on Cardinals Underground. Let's just see here. The fact that Russell Wilson threw three interceptions on Sunday Night Football when he came in with three all season. The fact that Russell Wilson was defeated at his own game as it was the Cardinals coming back from 10 down and then finishing in the fourth quarter and overtime. And the Cardinals do get a win finally at home against Seattle. Maybe there's a line here to start things off about how hell really has frozen over. I'm not exactly sure as the desert has gone from 100-something degrees to 50-something degrees in the span of 48 hours. And it all syncs up and correlates perfectly with the Cardinals win in overtime against Seattle, does it not? It, t- it took long enough for the temperature to drop, to be honest, Paul. I mean, let's face it. I mean, we've all been waiting for it to not be one of the 140 billion days in a row where we had 100 degrees. So I'm quite happy to be wearing a jacket for once. Yeah, it's a record we didn't want to set. Are there analytics, Kyle, and the fact that Arizona this summer set a record for most days over 100, most days 110 plus. I think like it had been since early May, since we'd had a low in like the 60s. I, you know, the, the numbers on the summer are, are bad. Uh, not nearly as bad as the Seahawks defensive numbers, but uh, you know, let's just start with that right there, because I tell you what, you want a number that I didn't believe at halftime. When I look down at my phone, I'm doing the halftime report. I'm like, you know, Rob Fredrickson, say something else, buy me some time. Cause I need to double confirm. Did the Cardinals really just give up 377 total yards in the first half? And then to hear Cliff Kingsbury said after the game, what was his, his line? He said, we were laughing on the sideline. Yeah. It's just another big 12 football game around here at state farm stadium. Yeah. Can I go back to the very beginning when you were talking about Russell Wilson struggling in the fourth quarter in overtime? And I know this has been a longstanding feud on this podcast about the clutchness of Russell Wilson, the fourth quarter magic of Russell Wilson. And it seems like that magic ran out. So how do you explain that, Paul? You know, you you started that right there, and I said, absolutely, you can proceed and go forward. Anytime we talk about Russell Wilson struggling, and then I quickly realized <laughs> that this was going to be a Calvisi facial right here uh, when it comes to the Anna. The, Maybe the, clutch the, isn't real, Paul. Russell Wilson. Is a, but wait a minute. Isn't that the first time in his career that he's blown a 10-point lead at halftime? Wasn't that the stat? That was yeah. out. He was like 30 and 0. So, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I have a hard time denying that, but I, I guess I'll spin it here up at the podium as I'm holding my press conference and turn it into a positive and say, geez, that's just another verification of how well the Arizona Cardinals played. Are you with me, Darren? Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, look, I, first of all, I don't, I mean, clearly, I think Russell Wilson would take that that interception that he had back in overtime. Clearly, uh, he didn't want to do that, and, and thank God for Isaiah Simmons. But 
I, I do think it said a lot for the resiliency of the Cardinals, uh, whether or not Russell Wilson was able to pull it out at the end. I mean, even he said after the game, this is the game we always win those games. And he almost sounded a little flabbergasted that, uh, that they hadn't pulled it out. And let's face it, after Zingan's out, well, first of all, once the Seahawks won the opening coin flip in overtime, I think a lot of people assumed, well, that's it. And then when Zing Gonzalez missed the field goal, then it was definitely like, oh, that's it. Um, and, and it wasn't until, quite frankly, well after the game that it really kind of clicked into me that they had only scored seven points in the second half in overtime. Uh, I, if I would have known that they had held up a little bit better than, they, than I had noticed, that maybe I wouldn't have been so quick to dismiss the uh, loss of the coin flip going into overtime. You know what? You're absolutely right about the Seahawks' reaction after the game. I didn't see it, but just listening to some of the audio, Russell Wilson was at a loss about the loss. Pete Carroll was at a loss about how to explain the loss. They literally had never been there and done that sort of loss, Kyle. So, yeah, I, I guess, you know, it uh, undermines what I've been trying to say about the analytics and, and so forth. But on the other hand, it does make me wonder, okay, was that a turning point in so many different ways for the Arizona Cardinals? Because, come on, you didn't just beat the Seahawks. You beat the Seahawks at their own game. That's what they do. And that's what good teams do, really good teams do in the NFL. They find a way to win those games late and or in overtime. Too many teams lose too many close games and think they're close. You're not. You got to break through and win those games. And that's exactly what the Cardinals did. Obviously, the biggest signature win in the Cliff and Kyle era. And I don't think it's a turning point. I think it's more validation of what the Cardinals were building. And I mean, there were a lot of really, really good signs through the first six games of this season. And I think hanging with the Seahawks and I didn't, you know, once you get to overtime, I feel like that's such a, a coin flip. One or two play, plays can completely change the game. So win or lose at that point, it really didn't matter to me because I felt like the Cardinals showed that they're on a similar plane to the Seahawks. And the fact that they won is obviously very good for their playoff odds and their fortunes in only a 16-game season. But I just feel like this team was showing really good signs that they were ahead of schedule. And I think this win and the way they competed really just validated it, especially after getting down 10-0, having Buda get tracked down on the pick six, having Tyler Lockett make that incredible catch on and fourth and goal or fourth and two from the three. I mean, there were a lot of these plays that went against them. And then the Cardinals got some back with penalties and stuff, but obviously just a crazy game. But in the end, when Kyler Murray just kept on making play after play and this offense was just rolling against Seattle, I just, I thought that meant a lot. And then the defense had its troubles, but having some playmakers make some plays, I thought that was big too. But I mean, at this point, who knows how the NFC West is going to go because all four of these teams, I think, are just very talented. And and when you play in NFL, a lot of different things can happen. A lot of these games will come down to one possession. So I'm just excited to see how it turns out from here. You know, I saw a number today, speaking of Seattle's defense or lack thereof, no team ever has given up as many total yards through the first six games of an NFL season and or passing yards as Seattle. So – I know we're tight and it's bunched up and the collective record in the NFC West is 19 and eight. But if you guys had to handicap it, just to go off on a diversion real quick, if you had to handicap the division right now, is Russell Wilson really capable 
of saving Seattle from its own defense. Because every other team in the division, to me, seems a lot more complete than the lopsided offense-only Seattle Seahawks. Darren, what do you think? I'll be honest, Paul. I think yes. And I think it's because their offense is that good. I mean, let's face it. Um, their defense didn't play all that great against the Cardinals. And yet we've just mentioned all the things. I mean, I don't think Russell Wilson is going to have those three interception games very often. And if it wasn't for those three picks, Cardinals don't win that game and they probably lose by double digits. So um, while I understand what you're saying, um, you know, I, I think, I think it's going to be tough to, to beat the Seahawks in a lot of ways. Now, We've seen the Rams kind of upgrade. It looks like the Rams have upgraded their defense a little bit as of right now. But the part of the problem is, is it's really hard to get a handle on where all these teams are. I mean, we, we know that the Cardinals have played the 49ers. The, Car the 49ers are now beaten up. But now they're starting to get a little bit of confidence knowing that they can win these games, even with all these injuries. The Rams have, you know, five wins, but they're, they're beating – they beat the NFC East teams – and a Bears team that I don't think a lot of people believe in, is their defense that much better or is it because they're playing that much worse offenses? What are they going to look like against Seattle uh, or against the Cardinals? So I, I think it's really hard to get a, a, a really good handle on where all these teams are compared to the other ones, other than maybe the Cardinals who played those two games. But I still think the Cardinals are going to have to play better overall defense. I mean, they did come catch fire in the second half against Seattle, but they they can't be in a position where they were in the first half. I mean, those defensive adjustments, and I said it right after the game, those, that reminded me of Todd Bowles and some of those defensive adjustments that Todd Bowles would make where, you know, whether they had given up one touchdown or three in the first half, there were a number of games in those two years he was D coordinator where they pitched a shutout in the second half. There was, there was a significant before and after. And I guess it was that that reminded me of the Todd Bowles era where they went in and talked about it. Kyle, based on what I've heard from the players, unless I missed something, nobody really specified necessarily any X's and O's. A lot of it was sort of media speak. We got together and got on the same page and got motivated and said, we got to put a stop to this. But to me, it had to have been more than that. Obviously, we saw a lot of eight-man fronts and cover zero. Yeah, they clearly blitzed way more in the second half and, and very effectively. And you go back to the Dallas game, and they blitzed very effectively in that game too. So I'm wondering with the way they succeeded so much blitzing and how much they struggled when they dropped the seven, if that is going to become their identity, especially without Chandler Jones. But you got a guy like Buda Baker, who's an excellent blitzer. Uh, Byron Murphy is doing a nice job blitzing and you've got some athletic linebackers now with Isaiah Simmons, Hassan Reddick, guys that can really drop into coverage when you do use those zone blitzes like Isaiah Simmons showed on the interception. So just the caliber of athlete the Cardinals have on defense this season compared to last, I think that does give Vance Joseph options and definitely kudos to him. And I mean, I think you're going to adjust when you give up 27 points in the first half to anybody, no matter what, but clearly what he did really worked and really flummoxed Russell Wilson. And Flummox, that's a good word flummoxed right there. I like you know, the other word is uh, precise on Russell Wilson on those touchdown passes. I mean, you guys cited it. the 47-yarder before halftime, the fourth down touchdown pass to Tyler Lockett. You guys saw it. I was right down in the front row. I First pass of the game to Lockett. Right. I mean, yeah. just money, deep shots. Just right exactly the only place they could be, they were. And if he does keep that up, it's a very valid point, Darren. If he keeps up playing like that, he will mask 
a lot of weaknesses like the 32nd ranked defense. I do, I do like that you brought that up because I, I would like to say, I mean, I guess Drake Kirkpatrick could have been in a, a little bit closer to lock it on the last fourth down touchdown. Although with the back of the end zone, he was about as good as he could have gotten. And I know the two passes that just got outside the reach of Patrick Peterson, you know, fans are all over social media, angry that Patrick isn't breaking up those plays. I, I can't imagine having better coverage on those other than tackling the guy. I mean, especially the touchdown. I'm like, I, I watched that two or three times. I'm like, how how did that ball even get in there with where Patrick was and that angle? I, I just, it was stunning. And I give all the props in the world to Russell Wilson and even Lockett to make the catches. But I, I think Patrick Peterson did a, a really nice job on those plays. And it just, he got beat by better players. And, and Buda Baker peeled off on that yeah. touchdown when they had double coverage. And so clearly Patrick Peterson was playing outside leverage and didn't have the inside leverage help. So I, I, I agree, Darren. I think Patrick Peterson had probably his best game of the season, the way he shut down DK Metcalf. And then really Tyler Lockett made two incredible catches on the two big ones he gave up. That was the one where usually, you know, look, sometimes you have the best view in the house. Sometimes you have the worst. I saw it my own naked eye right in front of me. I looked up at the Jumbotron. I still didn't believe it. And then I walked out because NBC had a cart with an actual monitor on it and they were showing replays from the truck. So I walked down and I said to Mike, the uh, network producer guy, I'm like, Mike, give me some social distance here. I got to borrow your monitor. I like, I had to see it for a fourth time just to believe where he put that pass. Really impressive. There's no doubt about it. What else did you guys like from the Cardinals win? And I know it's hard to pick out a single thing. Dave Bash, speaking of being flummoxed, the only time I saw him flummoxed all night was to ask him for his biggest takeaway from the game because it is hard. There were so many moments. It was reminiscent of of the Carson Palmer era and the Kurt Warner era when you're playing big games. And maybe that is my biggest takeaway that, you know what, you did it in front of a nationwide audience. You got a top rating. Everyone got to see a little bit about what the Arizona Cardinals are about. Darren? I mean, one of the obvious ones, and it's the one right out in front, you got to like how Kyler Murray is playing under the spotlight. And and everybody said, I remember doing the story a couple weeks ago about him in his high school career and what his coach was saying about how in the biggest games, that's when he really stepped up against the best opponents under the brightest spotlight. And I know he started slow in Dallas, but ultimately that game turned because of how he played, especially running the ball and throwing those big passes. And then I mean, other than the interception, I thought he was exquisite uh, in everything he did against the Seahawks. And I know they don't have a great defense, but that's still very impressive with what he did. But even on a lesser level, the two things that really stuck out with me were how the defense only gave up the seven points in the second half and have started to get some turnovers. And then this has really not been said a lot, but you got some Larry Fitzgerald catches and I thought they were crucial in a lot of ways he was the he was the guy who sparked both the the field goal um the beginning of the field goal drive at the end of the second half or first half he was the guy who sparked the drive uh, at the end of regulation to get that field goal and he made a catch in overtime and um I still think you know he's not going to be DeAndre Hopkins he's not going to post those kinds of things and clearly when they get towards the end zone, he's not necessarily the first target anymore either. But I think he still serves an incredible role for this team. And if if Kyler Murray continues to trust him, I, I think he's going to come up with some big catches in a lot of ways. Kyle, what do you think? You know, to me, I keep coming back to what Patrick Peterson did against DK Metcalf. And if you believe the next-gen stats, he was on him for 42 out of 49 snaps. 
held him to one catch for six yards. Once again, that's the next gen stats. And, you know, he's just such a sight. I mean, I've been on field level with Calvin Johnson and Julio Jones and DK Metcalf is every bit as impressive. And for him to come into this game, leading the NFL in yards per catch, second to D hop in yards per game. And he had one catch when Pat P was traveling and shadowing him for six yards. Honestly, I I mean, I I can't, the only time that passion Wolf even called his name was when he tracked down Buda Baker. So, you know, P2, he, P twice, he did put him in the uh, witness protection act, as he likes to say. Yeah. Patrick struggled early in this season. And I think it was a fair question about whether he was still in that above average to elite category, but these last couple games, I thought he looked really good and that's a big sign. I mean, obviously Drake Kirkpatrick didn't play too well and Tyler Lockett had, might've been the best receiving game that I've ever seen in person, just an incredible performance by Lockett. Um, But Patrick played well. If they can figure out the rest of the cornerback situation, the Cardinals will be in a pretty good spot. But like we've talked about, you tip your hat to Lockett and Wilson for a lot of those plays. Um, A couple things off the top of my head that stood out were Chase Edmonds. I thought he was a fantastic boost when he played, you know, he he didn't have a big impact in the first half, but had a couple big catches to set up the field goal before the half. And then in the second half, he was great, especially after Kenyon Drake went down and we've talked about it on here and we've seen it all season. I mean, he's explosive. He's a guy who was pushing to get more and more carries and more playing time. And now obviously he's going to get it with Kenyon Drake likely out a few weeks. So I'm excited to see what Chase Edmonds is going to do with, with an expanded role. And then I think the offensive line has just been phenomenal all season. And this might've been their best game in pass protection. Kyler Murray threw it a bunch. And usually when you throw it, 48 times you're getting harassed or sacked and he just was very comfortable back there I thought Murray did a nice job of realizing that he could stay in the pocket and he was willing to go through his progressions and and let that stay there but the line was just fantastic giving him time and I know the Seahawks after the game said well we were reluctant to really pressure Kyler we had to be cognizant of his legs but zero sacks zero quarterback hits and yeah I mean that's part of it. I, I, I get that you're not going to rush super hard up the field, but I mean, the Cardinals had the same thing with Russell Wilson and there was certainly more pressure on Wilson than there was on Murray. And if that was your game plan for Seattle, it wasn't working. So I don't know why they wouldn't have changed it. The, the Cardinals were moving up and down the field all game. Aren't the card, the Cardinals O line right now, if I saw right, one of you guys put this out on the ESPN pass block, run block, win rate. Aren't they top three in both categories? Now they moved up to number one in pass block win rate and number two in run block win rate. So basically the metric is, are you keeping your, the pass rusher in front of you for 2.5 seconds in the passing game and then run block? I'm not sure how they measure it, but I think it's similar to, did you win your individual matchup? So to be number one in that and number two in run blocking is just a phenomenal turnaround for this group. I think we need to get Justin Pugh on here. You know, hey, Justin, are, are you sure you're not a fan of O-line analytics? <laughs> are, are you sure? Has he, has he changed his, his stance on that? He, he actually, you know, it's funny. I actually brought that up to him recently, and he, ha- he has not changed his stance on that. And in fact, uh, when I tried to talk about when they were both top three before the uh, Seattle game, he basically says, I don't want to hear about any of that stuff. It basically said, you know, one week you want to trash us, the next week you want to say we're playing great. Let's just worry about this at the end of the year. So probably the right attitude to have. All right, so running back, good news, bad news. Good news, Kyle cited it. 
you got Chase Edmonds. In my mind, whenever I watch Chase Edmonds, I always have this little game in my mind, like, is the first defender, is the first tackler going to bring him down? Seemingly, it never happens. Either he makes a miss or he breaks first contact. He just, he just, it just doesn't happen. Now, the bad news, Kenyon Drake. And I thought it was going to be horrific news. I think we all did. He, so Kenyon Drake did. That's yeah. for sure. And so, uh, but now, what do we know, Darren? Get, get us up to date at this point, because I'm guessing we're not going to get anything definitive during the bye week. No, I would, I would dare say not. Uh, I know a couple of national reports said that the Cardinals were going to treat this as a, as a high ankle sprain. Somebody said they were going to treat it like a high ankle sprain. I think it was Schefter, and, and he's got a little bit tear of a ligament. I think, uh, and I am not a doctor, I, and I did not stay at Holiday and Express last night, but uh, I, I think the actual definition of a sprain is a slight tear of a ligament. It's just the levels of, of how much it's torn. So I think that might be just the same thing. But uh, like Kyle said, the, the reports were that he'd miss a few weeks. I do know that uh, the Cardinals made a couple of IR moves this week, putting Zach Allen with his bad ankle and Isaiah Irving, the back of linebacker who had that kind of scary moment where he had to be taken off on a stretcher during the game. Uh, they got both put on IR uh, and Drake did not. And even though the rules are you only have to spend three weeks on there, I'm I'm hoping that that's a good sign for Kenyon Drake, that maybe there's a little bit of leeway where maybe uh, three weeks he could come back as early as three weeks or a couple of weeks. And maybe they want to keep that flexibility. I mean, we'll see right. uh, perhaps he goes on IR later and then I, my whole theory gets blown up, but um, we'll, we'll see what happens. Clearly he's going to probably miss at least one game, if not a couple. And, uh, and, and we're going to get to see Chase Edmonds in that number one role, which he excelled at last year until he got hurt. So the backup running back, because that player does have a role in this offense. We're looking at Eno Benjamin, Benjamin automatically. He hasn't dressed, though. Jonathan Ward has. What do you think the pecking order is, Kyle? Yeah, and I asked Cliff Kingsbury that, and he said there is no pecking order right now. He thinks it might be a group effort. Uh, Eno hasn't been dressing, but it's a different it's a different story when you're the third running back, because when you're number three, they want you to do special teams and a different type of role. When you're number two, you're focused on the offense. So if they feel like Eno Benjamin is the best offensive player among the remaining running backs, then I think it will be him. But I also think it's a legitimate question because Jonathan Ward is a, a pretty good runner from what we've seen. And even DJ Foster, who's on the practice squad, he's the one that knows the playbook the best. He plays special teams. He's the best receiver of the bunch. He knows how to pass protect. He does a lot of things well uh, for the Cardinals. So DJ Foster might not be the explosive type athlete of a Chase Edmonds and maybe not of an Eno Benjamin. But if you just want a guy who is not going to mess up an assignment and not going to miss a blitzer and let Kyler Murray get sacked, I mean, that sort of stuff is important too. So we'll see which way they go. But I do think that number two running back is important. And I've talked about, you know, analytics says running backs are replaceable. And, and I do think it's one position where you can find guys. But we saw last year when you got down to Zach Zenner and Alfred Morris, that took a big chunk out of what you could do offensively. So the Cardinals need whoever is the number two to be a serviceable running back when he plays. Even if it's only 10 or 15% of the snaps, you need a guy that's not going to grind the offense to a halt. A couple of things to watch on that. First of all, DJ Foster's on the practice squad right now, and I don't know if he's got any more elevations left, so he might have to be put on the active roster for him to be that guy. So if they don't elevate him 
promote him for good, then that'll give us some kind of sign. I do know that that probably wouldn't be the ASU player that all the fans want. I, I know all the fans seem to be aching for some Eno Benjamin, and uh, there's going to be some disappointment after all this if he doesn't get to be the number two. And I agree with Kyle. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the fact. I did think – I thought Eno Benjamin actually looked pretty decent in training camp, but I thought Jonathan Ward did too. So uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. I honestly forgot about DJ Foster, much less Zach Zenner and Alfred Morris. So there, that's good. That's good. That, was, that was good knowledge right there. That was, Now back to the good news here, Darren, if we're looking at guys coming off IR, yeah. and there are some significant names who are on the verge of coming back. Go ahead and detail that for us. Well, I mean, Jalen Thompson's been practicing with the team for a couple of weeks. I'd be stunned if, if he wasn't the one, if he wasn't one guy who was back for the uh, Dolphins game when they come off the bye. So you'll have both your starting safeties, which would be nice to pair with, uh, to get him back out there with Buda Baker. Um, but you've also got the very real possibility of getting Max Williams back at tight end. And I think that would be gigantic. We all saw the struggles that Darrell Daniels had the other night. I do think Max Williams would make a huge difference in the offense and the things that he can do if he's finally healthy. Um, and you're still waiting to see about J.R. Sweezy and uh, Rashard Lawrence. Now, you know, I, I think Justin Murray did a solid job at guard. So I don't know if they're that panicked about trying to get Sweezy back. And I don't know how bad the in elbow injury was again. If you go on IR, it's a minimum of three weeks, but that doesn't mean you're only on it three weeks. It could be however long. So, uh, And then Lawrence, I think it would just be good to have that guy back in the rotation, especially now that you don't have Zach Allen. Yeah, they could use some reinforcements at D-line. There, there, there's no doubt about that. And, and Max Williams, that is intriguing right there. Not only is he still your best blocker, but – you know, Max Williams on that play and your first possession, he doesn't drop that 15-yard-plus gain. You know, to, there's just something about when the opponent starts the game with a six-play, 75-yard drive, you're down 7 nothing. then your first play from scrimmage is a dropped wide-open pass. It just I, I will say game. that. I will say this, Paul, on that. Um, you know, Darrell Daniels made a catch of a wide-open fourth-down play with maybe even more pressure on him to not drop it in New York. And uh, – I just, I, to me, I just chalked it up to a bad game. I think Daniels has played pretty decently, especially as a receiver. So uh, he dropped it and it was the beginning of a horrific night, uh, you know, missing a couple blocks, getting yelled at by Kyler Murray. Um, you know, he got a false start at a bad time. I think it was a false start or a hold or something. I'm just going to chalk it up to a bad play, bad night. And it was, there's no doubt. It, it really bottomed out when, and believe me, you could hear it. You could hear the quarterback yelling at number 81. It was eh, the entire sideline noticed. And yeah. and honestly, having witnessed many uh, an airing out by Kurt Warner of young guys like Steve Breston, uh, I'm in favor for it. I, I really am. You, you are a pseudo. You're you're a team captain. You're a team leader. You're, you're you're almost a player coach as the starting quarterback and. I think it sent a message to the entire sideline that it's not okay to start slow like this. And, and I did see a reaction um, visibly. It was a palpable reaction to Kyler holding Darrell Daniels accountable. You, give me your reaction, Kyle. Yeah. I mean, and especially when you're winning, that stuff is easy because in the moment you can try to figure stuff out. And then if you go on to win the game, there's not going to be very many lingering hard feelings. And I mean, different guys take being yelled at different ways. And I think you have to know which players that you should be forceful with and which ones you should praise. So I think 
Kyler Murray might want to, you know, ha- have an idea of the way other these guys react. Um, but certainly he's not the rookie anymore. Who's not trying to step on toes. I mean, now in a couple weeks in a row, we've been talking about Kyler Murray getting in exchanges with some of his teammates, but he's a competitive guy. And, and this team, you can feel it. They're already feeling like our aspirations are getting pretty high and we feel like we have a very talented group and we can't afford to waste this by not, you know, doing the right things or losing focus or anything. So and, and like I said, if you're winning and you're yelling at people, nobody's going to care because it's always everything is going well and, and you can easily brush it off. It's when a team starts losing and then the bickering happens, then you worry about things starting to fray. But, you know, right now I feel like it, it, it can be a good thing where everybody knows we want to hold each other accountable. And I think it's how and where you do it as well. And Wolf made this point. If you're yelling at one of your teammates on the field, that's one thing. But you come to the sideline, and that's sort of your sanctuary, and it happens there. That's more suitable. That's more palatable, acceptable. Now, the Sunday night cameras, they got cameras everywhere. They caught it. Okay. But, uh, you know, it, it's how and where you do it. You don't want to embarrass one of your teammates, either in the huddle or on the field. You try and keep it to the sideline once, once you come back in between series. Well, and I think the win is a great point in terms of, uh, you know, again, if, if the timeline was right and I, if he got in Daniel's face, was it after the screen pass to Hopkins? I think it might have been. Yes. Um, and well, and you know what? I'll just tell you this from the sideline. There was there was a series before it where he actually came down the sideline and talked to Darrell Daniels and the tight ends coach. And they looked at a tablet together and Kyler was pointing. And then there was another offensive series. Things did not go well, because remember, they started with the three punts, right? And then, and so anyway, then they came back and it was that third time. It was after that third possession where it happened. So yeah, there was sort of, there was a frustration on the field. There was a talking to on the sideline. And then there's what you cited, Darren. And then boom, that's when it occurred. And, and, and see that, that's one of those things where it's like, that's, it's, it's a win thing. I mean, they tried to do it the nice way, <laughs> I guess, essentially is what I'm trying to say. And, and after a while, you don't get to, you don't get to keep saying, Oh, my bad, my bad. At some point you're going to hear about it. And the tough thing for Daniels was um, there was another, the, the play, the play right before the missed field goal in overtime where uh, Kyler took the snap. That was Daniels missing the block there too. So it was just an overall tough night for him. And, and again, going back to, okay, you missed the, the catch that's going to happen. And like you said, maybe there was a couple other plays and it just kind of built up. And again, when it's about when, you can't just yell at a guy every single time he makes a mistake or if he makes one mistake. It's when, if he's made multiple mistakes, I think that opens the door a little bit more for you to like kind of really take charge there because you just can't have it. And look, guys are going to drop balls. What's most yeah. remarkable to me is Darrell Daniels is known as, as a hard-nosed blocking tight end. We've seen it in camp, guys. I mean, he will lay the lumber. He will put a helmet on a guy. And so that was most shocking to me was that he had missed some blocks. He tried to cut a few guys. And whereas we've seen him just be a stout blocker, the point of attack, that, that wasn't there either. And so I'm not exactly – sure why on that and by the way they didn't start with the three punts obviously because they had the d hop 35 yard touchdown pass and 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 i bring that up as a segue because what cliff kingsbury told us a couple weeks earlier on his weekly tv show game plan about how yes he steal steals plays but he cites his sources 
I forget which game it was and which play, but he said he had taken a play from Texas and he had taken one. So he's watching everything, NFL, college ball, and then Kyle, the, the play from Ohio State, which, uh, you know, which got a lot of run nationally. Yeah, and it was it was funny watching it live because I'm on the concourse for the game and I saw the assistant coach on the sideline really waving his arms demonstratively and everybody looked over and it looked legit and then they snapped it and and obviously got the touchdown and then you know people tweeted out the score and I rewatched it and I was like I think they did this on purpose because everybody was looking over and then when it snapped, they all went and there was not anybody like confused. So I thought maybe this was a trick play and just a a fantastic one. And obviously a good place on the field to call it uh, right by where the coaches are. And you look over at them, just a a really good idea. And then um, it really the optimal scenario where you get a 35 yard touchdown on it too. I'm really curious to know because that was third and two. Do you do that? I mean, Cliff was like, even if it doesn't hit, that's good. You put it in their heads. And I'm thinking, yeah, but if it doesn't hit, you just, it was third and two. Do you go for it on fourth and two? Which knowing Cliff and where they were on the field, he was going to go for it anyway. So maybe that's another reason. Yeah, they were at the 35 uh, of Seattle. So the assistant coach gets a supporting actor award. Is that what we're saying? So that's, <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then to make it more ridiculous, and in, 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 in Wolf cited this right away because I, I hadn't seen it until I went to my phone and I found the clip because it was on it was on Twitter. But that Kyler's got the ball, but he doesn't have the laces. That's that's <laughs> remarkable to me. I, I just I know he's thrown a million passes in his life, but to have a third and two at the thirty-five and in an NFL game with a game you know hanging in the balance, you're already down ten nothing. You just grip it and rip it without even having the laces. Uh, to me, that's remarkable. The funny thing is, is he actually had a moment to get the laces if he wanted. If you watch the replay, he catches it and he pats it and then throws it. He had a moment to switch it if he really needed to, but it was like so in rhythm and it was just, and with the smile caught on camera, that was a fantastic play. And he did catch Quentin Dunbar unawares, but Dunbar was pretty, had pretty good coverage. When he was doing the post-game interview with Michelle Tafoya, I wanted to tell Michelle, ask him, how often does he throw a pass without grabbing the laces? That's the answer I need here tonight. Forget the win. That's what I want to know. I'm not doing the uh, film room breakdown this year because COVID made it too hard to set up interviews and stuff, but that was one play I wish I really could have done it. It would get inside the head of Cliff and Kyler and all these guys, and it would have been fun to figure out everything a part of that play. It was a really cool play for Cliff to draw up, and they executed it so well. Wait a minute. you were If you had film room and you, were, you weren't going to do the Buddha return? Oh, no, it would have been that play. <laughs> yeah. I like the ones that are more interesting. That, that was the Buddha re- one was pretty interesting. <laughs> that was remarkable as well. I mean, that, wow. Uh, that, I mean, and for those people who don't know, you guys do, Buddha Baker in high school won a state title in the 100 meters and the 200 meters. So to be chased down like that by DK Metcalf, and, and I said this on the air at the time, when I was a young punk and intern in San Francisco, I was at a Monday night game, Candlestick Park, and Jerry Rice got loose, and he caught what was an 80-yard touchdown pass, somehow got behind Daryl Green. And to have Flash 80 blow by us on the sideline with Daryl Green in hot pursuit, you knew instantly you were on an NFL field. And then we all saw Chris Johnson rip off that 90-yarder against the Cardinals uh, when he was a member of the Titans, and DRC gave chase. DRC always 
DRC always said that he closed on Chris Johnson, although he didn't get him before the goal line. I don't know about that. But the next-gen stats said that DK Metcalf reached 22.5-something miles per hour and traveled 115 yards to reach Buda Baker. I just – between that and uh, – and it's funny, neither one of these plays end up in the box score in any way, shape, or form other than the one tackle. But between that and then the speed and power that he ran with after he caught that overtime screen that he scored the touchdown on that didn't count because of the holding. I mean, it was one thing when he's chasing down Buddha that just showed me his raw speed, especially at that size. But when he had the ball and he's running down that sideline and I'm thinking a guy that can generate that much speed at that much size and you're trying to tackle him. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, really mind-blowing I mean I, I can it's amazing how he's turned into what he's turned into and I know I'm sure somebody's going to listen to it and throw something at the television and say why didn't we draft him instead of his Andy Isabella and all this stuff but uh he, he's a he's a specimen and a half well and he's so much better than he was coming out of college and Russell Wilson will tell you that I Kyle, you did the team to team with the Seattle B writer. I thought the most interesting thing out of that whole sequence was when he said the two of them quarantined together, Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf. And, and you listen to the personnel people, he's a much better route runner in year two. He's even catching the ball better away from his body with his hands in year two versus year one. He is a to he might be the same specimen and have the same measurables. He's a much different player. Yeah, and obviously that's why he fell. I think there were medical concerns, first of all, but also can he play receiver? Because clearly he was a freak athlete at the combine, like his, the size and the speed, which was all on display as he tracked down Buddha. You saw all that stuff, but you're right. Can you be a technical route runner? Can you catch the ball? And he certainly checked all those boxes. And yeah, the Cardinals are are going to have their hands full for the foreseeable future covering him. And I think that goes back to what you were saying, Paul, about Patrick, where just a really phenomenal job against DK Metcalf, knowing how, how much of a physical freak he is and how athletic he is. So I think it was a, uh, it, it, I mean, it, it was a good pick by them and, you know, yeah, the Andy Isabella thing that, that is tough to swallow for the Cardinals knowing that DK Metcalf is going to be a superstar. But I think back to, Yes, if you want to do that, then let's talk about Kyler Murray and not taking him. And that was the decision that you had to get right. And the Cardinals got that one way right. So even if you took DK Metcalf, but you had Bosa and Rosen, you're probably not better as a team right now than you were in that case. So there, there's always going to be draft picks, which you hit and miss, but the Cardinals hit on Kyler Murray. Well, and, and even when we talk about these two teams, uh, especially given the time frame and uh, how their uh, the Legion of Boom was getting older. You, you would think that the Seahawks uh, wish they would have taken Buda Baker one pick ahead of the Cardinals instead of taking uh, McDowell, the defensive lineman that never worked out for them. Uh, they could use some Buda Baker in their in their uh, secondary right now. So, by the happens. way, on the, on the, uh, you're absolutely right on that one. I mean, Buda's right in this, their own backyard, uh, you know, training with his with their own players, and they still didn't didn't take him. Um, by the way, on the DK Metcalf, not only you know were we thankful that it was reversed and it wasn't a game-winning touchdown, but I don't know about you guys, I was thankful they didn't run that more. I mean, why are they not running more bubble screens to DK Metcalf? Why did yeah. you not see that earlier in the game? He had the he had the one crossing route where he caught it, and it's just like, oh man. And then yeah, the bubble screen. So maybe <laughs> right. they do 
I mean, just put him in the backfield or something. Just get him the ball at least 10 times a although, game. Although maybe the reason they didn't was the exact reason that happened. I mean, if you look at how they try to block that, the other guys, the problem is you want DK Metcalf as a player blocking on those kinds of plays because he can get a body on them. I mean, Moore did not a, a terrible job on holding Kevin Peterson. And that's the thing. Why hold the guy? Kevin Peterson probably isn't taking DK Metcalf down. Just, just get in his way a little bit. And and the other thing about that play, Patrick Peterson's lucky he didn't tear his knee up because uh, I don't know if it was Lockett. Somebody went right at his knees and yes. took him hard. Yeah, and he came up gingerly, and I, yeah. I held my breath. You know, he came up, and he was sort of dancing around on one leg, and you're like, oh, no. Um, speaking of the defense, and as we come out of the bye week, Marcus Golden, what what's – What's a realistic expectation, guys? I mean, Kyle, what do you think on Marcus Golden? How much of a role did he have this year with the Giants? I saw he got a sack in his last game Thursday night against the Eagles. He had 10 sacks a year ago, but had he really been part of the rotation for the Giants defense with a new D.C.? He was playing probably 35 40% of the time, and, yeah, I don't think he fit maybe schematically what they wanted to do. When you talk about him coming here, I think he has a very different skill set than a lot of the outside linebackers the Cardinals have now. So I think he has a pretty clearly defined role where third downs, you definitely want him on the field because he can get after quarterbacks. He's not the same athletic type player as a Hassan Reddick or Devon Kennard. So I think those two guys make a lot of sense when you want to do some more exotic things defensively. But now if you're talking about best pure pass rusher Marcus Golden might be that guy when he starts playing for the Cardinals because we've seen what he can do in the past with this team so I feel like if you're in a clear pass rushing situation it makes a lot of sense to have uh, Marcus Golden on the field it'll be interesting to see how they do this and if they rotate a little bit more because let's face it Hassan Reddick has exceeded expectations out there and so what do you do do you do you have is it is it Reddick and Golden? Is do you take Kennard off the field in certain situations? Do you want Kennard out there? And and is Dennis Gardeck still a potential person to put out there once in a while? Probably not as much just because of his size, but he he's done a couple things too. So I think I think this once you get Marcus Golden, you never would have wanted to lose Chandler Jones, but if you had to lose Chandler Jones and kind of had to backfill some things, I think they're in a better situation than anybody thought they could have been, given that they could get Golden, given that Reddick has kind of uh, shown some things, given that Gardick has even shown a few things, things that I don't think, I, I don't know if anybody really counted on. Free Dennis Gardeck. That That's my new hashtag around here. I mean, you know, you still got to work in Gardeck, the barbarian, on some third and longs. Come on, because what offensive tackles always say? They always say, it's much easier to go against a single pass rusher the entire game. But if you're flipping sides and you got a rotation and you got, you know, Reddick out there and then you got Marcus Golden and, and you have Devon Kennard and here comes Gardeck, who's so singular in his approach and what he brings. I, I like it. I like it. I also I, like I, the fact that, that, that Marcus Golden, you know, you don't, they don't just anoint a guy with the nickname junkyard dog. You got to earn the nickname junkyard dog. And I like that aspect of what Marcus Golden brings to this defense. Come on now. No, I mean, obviously the motor and, and the uh, passion, I mean, all that stuff is, is great to have, especially probably in a season when you don't have that energy in the stadium and in the stands. So I think that part of it is good. But going back to the, the pass rush thing, I think Hassan Reddick has just played so well that 
it's hard to, I mean, he's not going to play full time, but I, I think you got to get him out there a lot with the what, things he's shown. And I think his ability to, to drop and to also rush the passer. And I think he's been pretty decent against the run. I just feel like, I mean, Gardeck stepped in really well, but to me, it feels like Golden, Reddick, and Kennard would be a pretty good rotation at outside linebacker, provided they're all healthy and playing well. That's okay. Paul Paul wants to have Chris Streveler out there more often too, so I think Gardeck <laughs> just falls into that. That's right. That's the next podcast coming off the bye, because I'm going to leave it with this question. Here we go. In honor of Marcus Golden, I'm going to rehash a question from a few years ago when Marcus Golden was my answer to the following question. If you had to walk into a biker bar and start something, start talking some trash, which cardinal would you want on your side to have your back as your personal protector? And my answer back then was Marcus Golden. And you know what? That's my answer right now. If I'm going to walk in and pop off in a biker bar, I want Marcus Golden with me. Uh, Darren, who's your choice? Uh, do I have to go a current active roster? Because I'll be honest, um, I'm going, I might go Adrian Wilson. That's that's assuming he wouldn't look at me going. I'm not protecting you, um, <laughs> right. but yeah, Adrian Wilson would, wouldn't be a bad one. That, you know, it's not often you go into the front office to actually you know <laughs> get your personal protector. So that that's 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 a real shout out and a compliment to Adrian Wilson. I mean, Kyle, what about you? I think I'll go Jordan Phillips. I like his uh, his temperament and his size. I think he'd be a good guy on my team. Uh, our Jim Omohundro said Jordan Phillips as well. My backup was J.R. Sweezy, actually. I, I, I like, really like Sweezy. You know, he just comes in, and I just like the way if, – if he gives you the same routine walking into the biker bar that he does pregame where he starts banging his chest like he's prehistoric and he starts getting all going, I mean, do you want, that, that would be pretty intimidating. I, I will say my backup would be Fitz. because. Really? But yeah, because if we get into a bar and I get into one of those situations, Larry will talk us out of it. I have no doubt in my mind. And we'll, we'll all be on the same page by the time it's all over. He'll, he'll know exactly what to say. He'll know what to say or he'll know someone. Yes. Who can, who can, who can get you out of your situation. He'll know exactly. he'll his phone. He'll be able to make a phone call to save your hide. That's what will happen. And that'll do it for Cardinals Underground. <laughs>